Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever, actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple pencil with it, I have been doing that on there and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those NanoDots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook... Here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper like, and I'm sure it's it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use, and paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better... This is how you do it. So, to pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, to get started. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? That's more Rocket Ajax to bring back his body. And welcome to War Rocket Ajax. This is the internet's most explosive comic book and pop culture podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Chris Sims. With me as always, Matt Wilson. Matt, how are you? Chris, I'm doing all right. How are you? 
I'm good. I have a follow-up question. Okay. What is the most southern thing you have built in Tears of the Kingdom so far? The most southern thing? Yes. Oh, man. I mean, the first thing you're instructed to build is pretty southern. It's a fan boat. It's a fan boat, yeah. Yeah. Links, links, links from South Hyrule. <laughs> you, you get the, you get like a schematic and instructions on how to build like a full pontoon boat. Yeah, with I, fans. I have built essentially a monster truck. I yep. Yeah, it's it's monster trucks, pontoon boats, race cars, go karts. Yeah. The hero of time, Lank. 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 Zelda. <laughs> hey. Hey, listen. <laughs> ha? Yeah. Well, it sounds like that. Ha? Come on now. Please, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> L- learning that Link is Southern has really changed things. Yeah, yeah. Like I really hope they get my letters and put in the uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway tank top armor. Oh, you gotta get that. You gotta Link. get that. Yeah. But Matt, we are two Southern men with a podcast, and we have a great show for the people today. That's right. Uh, we are talking with Jason Copeland. Uh, not Southern, Canadian, about uh, his new book that is funding now on Zoop, uh, writer and artist of Full Tilt, which is well beyond its funding goal at this point. So we're just talking about stretch goals now, baby. And uh, we also talk a lot about influences, process, being a writer and an artist, and how that works together. Uh, a guy who gets his head shot off in the book. There's lots of fun stuff that we discuss with Jason. You will learn how to best remove a character from your narrative. <laughs> That's this right. Interview, I guarantee it. That's right. You need to get a character out of there. This is the way to make it happen. But Chris, before we get to our interview with Jason, we do have some business to take care of. The first bit of business is thanking our newest supporters over on Patreon. That's right, Matt. Wake up, wake up, wake up. It's the first of the month. We are recording on the very first day of June. That's right. That's right. Happy Pride, everybody. Happy Pride, indeed. And on this lovely Pride, on this uh, lovely first day of Pride, on this Wake Up, Wake Up first day of the month, you too could head down to 638 Gimmick Street. And when you're there, you can uh, take a little check or money order, drop it in the mailbox. No, no, don't do that. That's what we used to do. in in times long ago but they were but all of them were deceived for there was another way to support the podcast <laughs> that way is by going to patreon.com slash ajax and kicking in as little as a dollar a month to help keep the show going and i would say most importantly help me and matt pay those gimmicks they keep sending in the mail called bills that's right, Chris. Our newest supporter over on Patreon is Bram McConnell. 
Well, thank you, Bram. If you would like to be like Bram and help us out over on Patreon, uh, you can do that, as Chris said, by going to patreon.com slash Ajax and kicking in as little as a dollar a month to help us keep doing this show every week, every story ever monthly, comics catch up monthly. We made a plan about June's comics catch up. We still do are we are still gonna finish Fate. In July, mm. I guess. Mm. Or maybe Look, we don't. We made a promise to the boss dog Patrick O'Duffy. I think you made a promise. And he says the second half is better than the first. Well <laughs> Well, Matt. Okay, point taken. But uh, we did, because it is my birthday month, Chris said that he would read Berserk and we would rank the Golden Age from Berserk. So that's what we're doing for catch-up in June, but we will finish Fate in July. Uh, Movie Fighters and Snack Situation, that is also made possible by your support on Patreon. And as a patron, you get every single one of those shows that I just listed completely ad-free on your own Patreon feed, your own special Patreon feed. You can also get other cool rewards, including bonus audio, stuff we record, stuff that I cut out of the show, stuff that uh, you don't otherwise get to hear on the regular War Rocket Ajax feed, bonus writing and other content. Chris has definitely got a long-awaited video game review coming to the Patreon very soon. That feels pointed. It's not. It's not. I'm merely letting folks know that it is on the way. It is on the way. I am working on it. I'm not happy with it. See? And I don't want to give you... I'm going to do a full Paul Heyman. I'm not like... We're not going to bullshit you. (laughs) (laughs) Only the highest quality bonus content. Folks, this is the dance. This is the dance. You can also get line-stepping privileges for our various segments, including Every Story Ever and the currently ongoing Thursday Night Raw. You can get physical rewards if you are at the t-shirt level on Patreon. I'm speaking to like six people right now. Please send me your t-shirt size if you haven't yet. I'm not getting the shirts printed yet because not everybody has sent me their t-shirt size. Please send it to me. Please. Well, there are also other physical rewards that you can get if you're a Patreon supporter above a certain level. So if any of that sounds like something you would want, head over to Patreon and support us. We currently are at 402 patrons, which is considerably lower than the Funny Weed number, which we have been at in the past. So get us back up to that Funny Weed number in the month of June, folks. If you are unable to help us monetarily, which it happens, there are plenty of reasons why that might be the case, Uh, you can help us in other ways. You can give us a five-star review on the podcasting app that you use, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you listen to, or Rocket Ajax, five stars would be fantastic. And you could also just spread the word about the show on social media, or if you just see your friends and want to tell them about a podcast you like, This is a good one to mention. With that, Chris, it's time for some checks and recs. What do you say? Let's do it. So come on and take a 
Chris, what have you been up to? I have been enjoying the beautiful game. Tears of the Kingdom? I, well, yeah. I mean, yes. But... But but the 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 sport that is referred to as the beautiful game. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> I mean, yes, I have been enjoying The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, which is a beautiful game. But I have been enjoying uh, the, the great sport of soccer, of, of football, as they, they call it. We have uh, our season tickets for your... And by your, I almost certainly mean my Minnesota Aurora, uh, our local uh, professional women's soccer team here in uh, Minneapolis. And listen, I love the Aurora. Love them. They have already replaced the North Carolina Courage in my heart. No offense. Sorry. But they are, they are, my, they are my local team. Like I said, season tickets. Support them. They're doing great. But a couple of things of note. Number one, they play at the Vikings training facility in Egan, Minnesota. Uh, and because it is the Vikings training facility, th- there's a number of issues with them playing at the Vikings training facility, <laughs> including the fact that they are playing on a football field with like football field markings on it that also has soccer markings on top of the football markings, and it has a big Minnesota Vikings logo on it. If you park in the parking lot, your car might get ransacked. By the Vikings? Yeah. Now, Matt, you have brought up the uh, other issue that I have, uh, which is that uh, the parking is abysmal. (laughs) And, in fact, the first game that we went to uh, last year, we almost bailed on because the parking situation was wretched. Uh, Just truly terrible. And the thing is, uh, now we're bike people. And by that, I mean, we own bicycles. So, uh, we have a friend out in Egan who also has season tickets to the Minnesota Aurora. And so on these Wednesday nights between D and D campaigns, uh, we have put the bikes on the little bike rack on the car, driven out there and then taken a nice leisurely bike ride. And buddy, it's nice. It's nice to just get out and ride a bike and not have, like, my headphones in. And so, like, you know, there's a physical activity going on, so my head is quiet. It's nice. It's nice, and I like it a lot. It's weird to reach an age where you're like, oh, I'm going to do a thing that's, like, not creating noise in my head. Yeah. I'm going to quiet this noise actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh I'm going to not, I'm going to stop drowning it out for an hour and instead just quiet it. <laughs> uh but the other thing is uh the Minnesota Aurora as of this recording here on Wake Up Wake Up this first of the month uh they are undefeated and also buddy I have seen some I have seen some massacres in my time. I have seen some some slaughterhouses in my time. I've seen a baseball game that was won by 14 runs. Which is a lot. Yeah, I've I've seen one of those too. I, I, the team I did not want to win got the 14 
or 15 runs. That's uh, a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you, I've never seen a... I have never seen savagery like I have seen from the Minnesota Aurora in the game soccer. Like, you know, you know the old, the old saw about soccer, you know, it's a, it's a game where nothing happens. Yeah. Um, well, nobody told that to the Minnesota Aurora. (laughs) Last week they won five to zero. This week they won 10 to zero. And it was at a point where, like, I felt bad for cheering. Uh, they also, after they scored their first goal, two minutes into the game, uh, all of the players sat down in a little line and pretended that they were rowing a boat. And I don't know why they did that, but it's. I was hoping it would lead to increasingly elaborate uh, celebrations. It did not, and I'm glad, because they would have honestly probably run out of steam after eight or nine goals uh but 10 to zero brutal absolutely brutal savage anyway i'm having a good time with the minnesota aurora love them great colors uh great fans season tickets it's women's soccer the the best of all sports. Matt, what have you been up to over the past week? Well, Chris, as you mentioned, it is wake up, wake up, wake up the first of the month. And so that means in seven days, in one week exactly, by the time this episode goes up, it will be approximately four days. Uh, I will be 40 years old. It will be my birthday. Hey, congratulations. Yeah. Uh, Happy birthday. My birthday is, is quickly approaching. Uh, I will be spending the weekend before and the early part of the week uh, before my birthday in uh, the city of Charleston on vacation, on a short vacation. We're going to go to all the restaurants we like down there, the restaurant with the best chicken and waffles I've ever had, Early Bird Diner. Mm, Uh, Yes. Yeah. Hard to agree. Uh, do not uh, blow that place up for me, though. Like, let me go get a table there easily. Um, but uh, I, yeah, we're just gonna go like have a good time. I have decided that one night on our vacation, I am just going to get trashed. <laughs> Hit that Bojangles hard iced tea. <laughs> I, I I'll drink some fancy cocktails. I think I I. I do not often get drunk. I, in fact, do not often drink anymore. Uh, I, I will have like a drink if I go out. I don't know when the last time I was that where I was even like tipsy. Uh, but it's the last hurrah of my thirties, I have decided I, I need a night where I just like let loose a little bit and get trashed and we just take a lift back to the hotel. So that is the one thing I have like really planned in advance of my birthday in the lead up to my birthday. Uh, no other huge plans. Uh, I know, like I mentioned before, there's some huge mystery gift in my guest room. 
that multiple people have have gone in on. Uh, but more than anything, I just want to kind of relax, play Tears of the Kingdom. Let me ask you this about Tears of the Kingdom, Chris. You asked me what the most southern thing I've built was. Uh-huh. Do you hate the depths? I love the depths, actually. I went from hating them to loving them. I love the depths. And I here's what I think the reason is. I have read several books set in the Underdark uh-huh. in the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh-huh. I know all about Drith Dorden. But this was the first time that I've seen something and been like, oh, that's what that would look like, and it would be cool. (laughs) The only thing that I found frustrating about the depths is you can't always get everywhere from where you are. Mm -hmm. Like, sometimes you have to go back up to the surface, find another chasm, and go back down to find the path. And sometimes you can see the thing that you're trying to get to, but there's like a wall in the way that you just can't like scale by climbing. So that's, that's the frustrating thing about the depths. But I went from, once I started following the statues and started like finding some landmarks and stuff, I grew to really like the depths. I am a map completer. Mm-hmm. Like, I have been playing this game like a part-time job. And I have only done, like, I, I just tonight did the third of the temples. Because I like to complete the map. And so I have been delighting in wandering around the depths. And I like that there is a there is a mechanic that enforces the idea that like that you you're going to have to retreat yeah and i think yeah, that's yeah. really cool i can't believe you didn't like elden ring and you like this game it doesn't feel good to play it it does and it if doesn't. you gave it a chance if you did if you didn't prejudge it because so much of this game so much of this game is Elden Ring to a T, especially I, the depths. I was ready to love it. I was ready to be like, this is the one that's going to make me like these. <laughs> don't, so don't tell me I prejudged Elden Ring. It doesn't feel good to play it. it that is incorrect. It feels great to play that game. Much. It's, it's such a similar experience to Tears of the Kingdom, I can't even tell you. Link... Making Link move around and jump and go, hey, come on now. That feels good. (laughs) That feels good. All right, Chris, it's time to make some recommendations. What do you have to recommend? Uh, Tears of the Kingdom. (laughs) Okay, great. It's, look, I'm sorry. It's what I've been doing. It's great. Uh, I actually talked to my, I explained Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom to my therapist today. (laughs) <laughs> because I was talking, first of all, I was talking about like how it's like, yeah, it's kind of all I want to do, but the game loop is so good, and the dopamine is so good. 
Like, it's just so well-crafted. Also, like, you know, Breath of the Wild is... Breath of the Wild might not be my favorite game, but it is the best game. So, like, I I had to explain all that to my therapist. So, yeah, I'm I'm doing it. It's what I've been doing. Also, I mean, I would recommend going to see the Minnesota Aurora, but that's not likely to be possible for several of you. So, Matt, what is your recommendation this week? Elden Ring? No, I already recommended Elden Ring last year. It recommended it to me. I've, I'm recommending it to you again right now. Give it a okay. chance. It's what great. What do I need to do to make it fun? Because you said that I there was a certain way that I could play it that would be fun. But like I played it as like dude who hits shit with a sword. And that's usually pretty fun for me. Um, I think that is a perfectly valid way to play, but if you want it to be easy or easier, be someone who uses magic. I, I, I there's judgment in your voice. When you say that. <laughs> no, I am not one of those get good people. I it, that is a way that is intended to play the game. Absolutely, play this like a magic user, someone who casts spells and you can get through some of those harder early parts to like really level up your character and, and then start to, you know, really make your way through. Cause like, I honestly make it to, to Margaret with Margaret in it. I don't know. Margaret, Margaret, but you could call him Margaret. Sure. The, the, there, there have been fights that I've experienced in tears of the kingdom that are just as hard, if not harder than fights in Elden Ring. Definitely, absolutely. I don't know, man. Well, anyway, what's your once you start hitting that? those silver uh, moblins who take off half your health bar, come on now. Yeah, you just shoot them in the face. <laughs> I mean, look, I, ha- I, 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 I hate to tell you this, Matt, but maybe you should get good at Zelda. I, I'm not bad at Zelda. Here's my recommendation, Chris. I, I actually am. I, I'm going to do my recommendation from last week very quickly. Okay. Uh, that is Fast X. I don't have a ton to say about it. Vin Diesel does drive his car down a dam. That's pretty good. And Jason Momoa is maybe the most entertaining person to ever be in any of those movies. Is that the one with John Cena? F9 is the one with John Cena. Okay. Fast X. They really should have called that Fast 10 Year Seatbelt. <laughs> I know that's like the joke, but they really should have called it that. Fast X, John Cena is in, but the villain of Fast X is Jason Momoa, who can is I say this about having John a Cena. blast. Can I just say this about John Cena? Yeah, go ahead. I don't like him with all the hair. Crew cut or nothing for you. Yeah, man. Like, I, I mean, look, we kind of got used to him looking a certain way, seeing him every week. And and now he looks different, and I don't like it. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, he's he's very entertaining in, uh, in Fast X. Uh, I do have another brief recommendation uh, that I want to give. Chris, do you remember in the early 2000s how there were all these bands that were the something? Uh, yes. The Vines, The Strokes. The Hives, yeah. You beat me to it. 
My favorite of those bands, by a long shot, is The Hives. Yes. I am a noted Strokes hater. But The Hives were great. And, buddy, they're back. And they have a new song called Bogus Operandi, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. Excellent song. And the video for that song, I haven't seen the Evil Dead movie that came out this year. But the video for that song is the best Evil Dead movie of the year. <laughs> uh, AC actually went to New York to see The Hives uh, a couple weeks ago. They're so good. Uh, yeah, uh, Have you read the interview uh, where uh, Helen Pellis says that um, musicians who change are bullshit? <laughs> and they're not going to change because they got that shit right the first time? You know what? He's not wrong. He's not no, wrong. He's not wrong. He's right. He's right, and he should say it. Uh, the song Abracadaver is still one of my favorite songs ever. I will just listen to it. Uh, Bogus Operandi is also really good, but the video, like, I'm specifically recommending the video, which is so fucking Sam Raimi. It's unbelievable. It does Raimi cam with a shovel. Like, like the shovel is in like the middle of the shot. It's incredible. And, uh, you should go watch it right now. It's on YouTube. Uh, the hives bogus operandi. Chris, those are our checks and recs, which means it's time to talk about some comics. What do you say? Let's do it. There is no texture's choice this week, but the comic we have to talk about is Amazing Spider-Man number 26. Yeah. I have loved this run up to this point. This is the issue that made me go, hmm. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that it's bad, but it does a few things that make me go, hmm. What are the things that it does? Well, the thing that it does at the end, the thing that we're going to spoil right now, uh, it seems like the villain of this story arc, his name is Raven, Dr. Raven, right? Yeah. He, he merges with the God of Death by this. Like he, he merges with Wayep. And he's uh, ready to sacrifice Mary Jane, who is the person that he's been looking to sacrifice through this whole thing. And it appears as though he does that. And on panel, it is shown as Mary Jane that he stabs, but then it's not Mary Jane, and it turns out to be Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel. And so at the end of this issue, Ms. Marvel is dead. The last full-page splash is everybody standing around looking sad as Peter embraces Kamala Khan. Who, who is is dead after being stabbed by a death god. And, like, we know that's not sticking, right? Yeah, like, I... Here's my question. Is this a thing people are mad at? I mean, I'm sure it's a thing people are mad at. I'm sure like, it's a thing people are mad at. Because, like... I mean, look. I... Look. It's all fake. But 
you know she's not dead, right? You know that, like, there's a movie coming out <laughs> and that she's going to be a mutant in that movie and all the mutants can come back to life because of gold balls. Like, not to put too fine a point on it, that's what's going to happen. It is weird that it happened in Amazing Spider-Man. It is weird that it happened in Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, it's weird that there's not a a like Ms. Marvel book right now for it to happen in, uh, considering there was, you know, the the TV show and the upcoming yeah. movie. Um, she, I mean, she I, has been a she has been a supporting character in this book from the beginning of the run, yeah. but it it's still weird that it happened. Yeah, <laughs> in this. But like, I mean, y'all. Here, here's my take on it. A, first of all, you're not really a Marvel superhero until you die. That's true. Yeah. Second of all, she doesn't get killed and stuck in a matchbook. You know, like maybe this is a distinction for people without difference, but like, she has a good death. She has a she she has a, a saving somebody death, uh, which I think counts for a lot. Like I don't love that it happened, but you know she had a hero death. She didn't she didn't kill the rest of the Green Lantern Corps. <laughs> is, you know? is she, does she make herself look like Mary Jane? Is that the yeah. idea? Yeah, because she says uh, at one point, she, like, I didn't think she could do that. Like, I didn't think, but, you know, she is a shapeshifter. Yeah. But I didn't think she could do that. But she says, at like, after she gets stabbed, she's like, uh, I didn't think I could still do that. So okay. I guess it's something that she's done before. Okay. So yeah. she is intentionally, like, like she she is sacrificing herself to save someone. Someone who has also been dead on on a few occasions. That's true. I the, one of my main sticking points was like, why did she look like Mary Jane? But if that is a power of Mrs. Marvel's that I was not aware of, then fine. The other thing in this issue that I'm like mm, about is okay. We got Paul's name wrong last time we talked about him, which doesn't. That's not a great thing for Paul. Not a great sign for Paul. We said his name was Owen. Owen is the name of the little boy that they say. Okay. But there's a thing in this issue where it's like, the kids have been taken. The kids are gone. and Because they just disappear. Yeah, the kids are like, dead. Right, like essentially. Like we find out that they were not, I guess, real. They vanish. Yeah, like they were creations of YEP. Paul tries to hug them and they vanish. Yeah. That's the second time a child has disappeared in a Spider-Man comic. Well, this is two children, but like this has baby Mae Parker vibes who was born and then vanished. Mm -hmm. This like, I wonder if Zeb Wells has any plans to bring these kids back, or if they're just gone. <laughs> I I have enjoyed this run quite a bit. You and I have both been like very hyped for this run. Yeah, 
But I do feel like this is a thing where it feels, whether this is true or not, like, you had to get rid of these kids eventually anyway, because, like, once you reveal that they're not Mary Jane's actual, like, biological children, they have served their purpose. Mm -hmm. Like, we got the surprise of being like, who are these fucking kids? (laughs) And now that we know who the kids are, we don't, creative has nothing for you. (laughs) Yeah. Like, that's what it feels like. And so it feels like very perfunctory that these kids are gone now. I say this with nothing but love in my heart. But for good and bad, this specific issue reads like a Spider-Man comic from 1997. Mm -hmm. Down to the John Romita Jr. art. Yeah. But, I mean, that was when comics were at their best. I, I mean, in many ways, yes. I mean, this is when I that that's the era where I fell in love with Spider-Man comics. And as I say, for good and bad, it feels like like the run up to this point has felt very like fresh. This one issue, in in some ways, indistinguishable from a comic from 1997, except Kamala Khan is in it and Norman Osborn is good. Yeah. Norman Osborn, who, who I was, there's a bit in here about how like, oh, these weird symbols can change, you know, change you on a quantum level. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, is this going to be a thing where like, this is how Norman Osborn becomes bad again. So there was a lot to this issue that felt like, like, yeah, we're getting, we're getting all this stuff back to, back to how you like it. It, it it does kind of feel like that, yeah. I I like the symbol stuff. The symbol stuff is like inventive and neat, but it also feels like an idea from '90s comics. I do love that Mary Jane still has that thing, and so she still has her little slot machine powers. Yes. I hope she keeps it. I hope I she really keeps them too, and I hope she. I hope they bring back Jackpot, and I hope that's Mary Jane now. Like I like it how in this issue it fucks up. Yeah. Like she tries to kill Wyep with it, and instead, it's it's like it totally ineffective. It's it's she does a healing spell instead. Yeah. Uh, if you're mad about uh, uh, Kamala Khan getting killed in this comic, by the way, that's fine. I'm just telling you why I'm not. I wonder how many people who are mad about Kamala Khan dying about five years ago, we're like, why do they got to make a new Ms. Marvel? Just, just curious. Chris, I also want to talk about another story that feels very much like an ending. And that is Punisher number 12. This book feels like the end of the Punisher. Is this the last issue of the series? I guess it, it, it would have to be. Because I'm a few issues behind. Um, it is... The title is The King of Killers Epilogue. Okay. Punisher No More. Never the end. Yeah. Uh, it's by Jason Aaron, uh, Jesus Saiz, and uh, Paul Azaceta. And... Okay. It, it wraps up the arc with the hand pretty definitively like the hand is defeated and the punisher is taken in by 
a group of superheroes that includes they're not exactly the Avengers. <laughs> it's it's a weird group of superheroes because it's like Wolverine and Doctor Strange and Black Widow and Captain America. Okay? Okay. And they all get their turns coming to Frank and basically being like, what should we do with you? Like, we don't know exactly what to do with you, but but we got to figure out something. And in the middle of all that, we get like flashbacks to Frank, like essentially the start of his war, like the very first example of like him killing a bunch of mob guys and going after specifically the people um, who killed his family. There's one where he breaks into a prison and kills a guy who's about to be executed. (laughs) Because he says, this is, it's my favorite part of the issue. He says, I could have sat outside the prison and drank a beer while they strapped him down while his lungs filled with fluid his airway choked with froth while he drowned in his own bile, too drugged to even squirm. But doing nothing isn't how you fight a war. You do it by having the strength to pull the trigger. I learned that lesson when I was 10 years old. That's the Punisher. That's him. Man, that is so the Punisher. That's, that's his deal. But this, is, this story ends, this whole arc with like Maria having come back. It ends with Maria being the last person to come in and talk to Frank. And what she tells him is, hey, the Punisher is bullshit. Like, everything you've been doing, it's not what I would have wanted. It's bullshit. And you're not honoring your kids, and you're not honoring me. And so the the book ends with Frank just, like, sitting with that. I feel like that's a thing that that we as readers have known and that has come up before it's, he does it cause he hates them. You know, like it's, it's that, that Garth Ennis comic, like, why do you do it? And he goes, because I hate them. Yeah. And that's an interesting place to end the run though. Yeah. I mean, there's a little bit of an epilogue where Frank decides, okay, well then I got to get out of here. And the last place we see him in is is Weird World, and he's like helping kid refugees, like orphans. So weird. Okay, I, I would like to know what is going to happen to the Punisher after this. Like, is Marvel completely changing the Punisher as a concept because those people started putting the Punisher logo on everything? I mean, th- he does have a different logo in this run. Yeah, And I hadn't thought about that until just now, and now I'm like, is that why? Oh, it's definitely why. Huh. That's my question here. Like, is this a remaking of The Punisher because of those people? (laughs) If if it is, like, if that's what this story is, Jason Aaron fucking knocked it out of the park. Like, bringing Maria back and telling him, you're not doing what I wanted. Great. So, at the end of the series, is Maria, like, alive? Yes. Wow, that's shocking. Yeah. 
that is genuinely <laughs> Maria Castle being alive is way more shocking than Kamala Khan dying. <laughs> um, there's another shocking revelation that I won't give away. Uh, oh, tell to, me, tell me, tell me. I'll tell you off air. Okay. <laughs> if it, I would say just read the issue, but uh, yeah, it's it's good. This Punisher series has been really good. Good stuff. Uh, one last book we're going to talk about is Doctor Strange number three. This is a comic where Doctor Strange, they, they keep calling it Parley Day. And what Parley we learn day. is, what we learn is, that's the day where Doctor Strange and Dormammu hang out and talk. See if they can come to an agreement. Yeah. <laughs> Which is pretty good. But Dormammu shows up knowing full well that they're not going to come to an agreement and is doing everything in his power to needle and fuck with Dr. Strange. Namely, he shows up in a human body, one of the bodies of his worshippers slash followers, knowing that by inhabiting that body, he's going to kill this guy. Yeah. And since the guy is one of his worshippers and, uh, he is willing to be possessed. He can't be exercised. Yes. Which is a and, pretty good bit. And so, yeah, he's like, I actually spent a big chunk of this issue, which Jed McKay wrote, Pascal Ferry did the art. I spent a big chunk being like, this is going to be unsatisfying if we just know that this guy ultimately dies. But then the whole end of the issue is Dr. Strange figuring out a way for him to not die. Can I tell you what I loved about this? And what I think is like emblematic of why you and I are really digging Jed McKay as a writer. Please. Doctor Strange is a magician. Yes. He does a trick with a coin. He does. That's the bit. That's the bit. He does coin magic. Like, it. the only way it could have been more on the nose... Is if it was a card, you know? I yes. really dug it. I like the twist on the coin magic, though, being that the co- this coin specifically is made of Mysterium. It's from Krakoa, and it's made of Mysterium. I love and, Mysterium, by the way. Yes. This is the first I've encountered it, but I love it. And that means that it negates magic. So Doctor Strange is making himself vulnerable in hopes that this worshiper will take the coin and dispel or exercise Dormammu from his body. And his method of convincing this guy to leave Dorm or to, to get rid of Dormammu, get him out of his body, is to tell him all the different ways that he has beaten Dormammu over the years. And it's all real Doctor Strange stories from comic books. Yes. And for a while, like, you're reading it and you're like, oh man, is this just kind of like reestablishing Dormammu? Which is this a clip show? Yeah. Like, it it kind of is being like, hey, this, by the way, this is Doctor Strange's actual kind of arch nemesis. Yeah. It turns out to be a misdirection and a coin trick, which is magician shit. Not wizard shit, it's magician shit. Yes. Which is different, and I thought that's an absolute hoot. It's great. 
Like just in in concept, what a great bit. Like this issue is you know, serialized within the bigger story that's happening, like the whole investigation of Agamon's death is going on still. And like Clea's in the background investigating that. But this ultimately sort of being like a big standalone story. I I really liked it. I really dug the cleverness of this story. Yeah. Absolutely thought it was a hoot. Yeah. With that, Chris, it's time to talk about another very cool comic book story by a great artist. It's time for us to talk to Jason Copeland about Full Tilt. Let's do it. Joining us for the program this week, we are very excited to talk to a creator who I I have specific things that I want to ask about. Uh, he's here to talk to us about his new graphic novel, Full Tilt, which is currently crowdfunding on Zoop. Jason Copeland is here. Jason, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks very much. Uh, hopefully my, my intro there didn't sound too ominous, because what I wanted to talk about was how excited I was to read the preview pages and see a dude fully get his head shot off. <laughs> yeah, it gets a little graphic at, at, at parts. It, it's... <laughs> Matt and I are both writers, and so there are certain scenes that we have written, and, and I always love writing and, and choreographing fight scenes, but as someone who's writing and drawing the book, how do you decide, like, this dude's fully getting decapitated <laughs> in this scene? <laughs> well, that was just the need to get rid of that particular character. Uh, just to move the story along. Cause if, uh, if, if something didn't happen to him, then I'd have to, you know, continue to use them in some way. So this was just, it was a convenient way to, to, uh, take him out of the story. I love that it is a matter of convenience. <laughs> but well, you, need, you need to make sure everybody needs to know that dude's not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jason, I, I am intrigued by, the description of full tilt on uh, on Zoop that you have because it's a bunch of things that I like. First of all, uh, gritty noir tales, dystopian future realities, kinetic, kinetic black and white art, and then also listed are Sin City, The Godfather, and Blade Runner as kind of like you know you always got to do that ele- elevator pitch where you compare your thing to other things. Yeah, exactly. I throw throw in the Warriors movie too. Okay. Another thing I really like. Yeah, happily. But happily I, throw in the Warriors. I, I also noticed that you're in kind of the photo that you have on on Zoop. I don't want to call it your author photo, but it's like, you know, the, the photo of you that's, that's on there. You're wearing a shirt that says, draw like you, not like them. Yep. And when I look at the pages, the preview pages for Full Tilt, like every time I look, I see like a- another part of my brain kind of registers like an influence. I feel like 
it's a test of people <laughs> who are really into comics because I when I look at it, I see you know Frank Miller. I also see Jeff Darrow. I see Corto uh, Maltese comics. I see tw- uh, 2000 AD in there. Like it's it's all these influences synthesized into like your very distinct style. And I wonder if, like, you think about any of that when you're drawing, or if you're just drawing what you like, and then later you're like, "Oh yeah, that kind of has these influences in it." Uh, I think that I've been drawing long enough that um, that I don't think about it. I think the influences just come through because um, I've been doing it so long that it's just kind of natural now. Yeah, and and. It's always weird, like we interview when we interview artists or when we talk to artists, even more than writers. I feel like it's always weird to compare work to other people's work because it's reductive, right? It feels, yeah, it feels a little reductive, yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, that's that's a, I think that that's an in for people to like talking about influences. I don't think that I, I have no problem talking about what influences me. Um, I think it's when it's like when people compare it in a like this is better than that sort of way that I don't mind people putting it up against what Frank Miller's done or you know or whoever Pratt or um, and and saying oh I see similarities but it, it's when it turns into a I like the way they did it better or you did it better or whatever like that that's kind of neither here nor there. So we shouldn't we shouldn't say like. Better than Sin City. Like, that's not the, that's, well, that's not I, the quote you're looking for from the show. I would say I would say anyone can say it, but it doesn't necessarily. <laughs> it just doesn't necessarily hold any weight. I mean, everyone's got an opinion, so I mean, not to put you down or anyone. Down, I could say that it's just better than Sin City. I'd be lying, but <laughs> um, you know, people can definitely say it. I just it's uh, it's if if that's kind of what people. Um, kind of fall back on is like, this is better than that. Uh, then that's kind of usually when I'm like, all right, I'm out. <laughs> there is something challenging to talking about artists because I don't know if you hate Frank Miller, you know? Uh. <laughs> like, uh, and I, I don't know, maybe it's because Matt and I have so much experience uh, writing and, and, and talking to writers and, uh, you know, be, being, creators who tend to wear our influences on our sleeves and you know you can recognize or or i can at least recognize stuff when i read uh a writer and i'm I'm like oh this person loves grant morrison or like oh this person clearly like you know likes to riff on 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 jack kirby dialogue you know right yeah whereas with artists if they're not you know if you're not doing a loving pastiche, uh, which, you know, obviously uh, the work in Full Tilt is not. Uh, it's difficult to be like, man, this really reminds me of Frank Miller. And you could be like, yeah, I hate Frank Miller, actually. <laughs> like, I, I, everything he's done is absolute trash. Uh, well, I'll, uh, I'll let you, uh, you know, breathe easy when you... I, I love Frank Miller's work <laughs> and it's a huge influence in me. Um, 
Ronin was the book that actually got me interested in actually making comics. I was reading comics before that, but it wasn't until I read Miller's Ronin that I was like, uh, something clicked in my brain and said, oh, this is what comics is about. I can, uh, this is something that I dig and I'm, I think I want to do it. Um, so Miller's huge for me. I mean, th- your character being named Massimo Miller is exactly. That, <laughs> that's not an accident, right? No, not at all. And there's uh, there's a character in there. His last name is Sinkavich, so uh, <laughs> so you can read into that too. That's really interesting because I feel like Ronan is Ronan is a real like secret handshake comic, <laughs> you know, where like it, it is the it is the the shibboleth comic. Because uh, I feel like that's the like the forgotten uh, Frank Miller work, or the the one that no one ever really talks about. So I'm one of the things that we really like to do on the show is, is kind of talk about the things that we like. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious what it is about Ronan that, that spoke to you that uh, that other things hadn't. Well, you know, I have to say that it was probably. Well, it was it was a number of things for sure. Just style wise alone, you know, it was like nothing that I was looking at uh, as a kid. You know, it wasn't Hulk and it wasn't it wasn't Batman. Um, it it was daring. It took chances. There was naked people in it. Um, you know, there's uh, it it dealt with racism. It, it it's it's a heavy book. There's there's a lot in this thing. At the time when I read it, <laughs> I, pro- I honestly didn't understand it. It it uh, it it took me probably three or four uh, goes to even kind of get my foot into exactly what it was I was reading. Because um, you know, there's the different timelines, the the narratives of what's in the past and what's the future, and and uh, you know what what's reality, what isn't, um, and uh, and for for you know twelve year old Jason who had been you know, reading all of just the regular uh, superhero type comics, this was this was an eye opener. This was something that uh, that I had never experienced in, in a comic form. And again, it was also you know Frank Miller was starting to uh, look at a lot of uh, manga and um, and European comics, which I didn't have any um, into. So this was a whole new art form for me. Looking at it, you know the the way he did pacing, the way he did layouts, lots of two page spreads. Um, yeah, there was, it was just something that was just eye opening and, uh, and left, uh, and left me as a young, as a young comic reader kind of gobsmacked. I just didn't really know what it was, but I knew that I loved it. What do you remember being 12 and, and picking up Ronan is, uh, I feel like that is an experience that I don't know if younger readers have anymore. Mm. It, it feels like that was like. I don't know. Maybe I'm just romanticizing my misspent youth, but it feels like that is such a thing of like, like you would go into the comic and you'd be like, ah, you're going to the comic book store and be like, yeah, this looks cool. I'll give this a shot. And then it would be like, you know, the issue of Swamp Thing about uh, werewolf menstruation or, (laughs) or Frank Miller's Ronan. Uh, Was there like, do you remember like, what it was that made you pick that up? Was there like a, like somebody at the comic shop being like, Hey kid, this will blow your mind. Well, it's funny. Uh, it was actually at the comic shop. Just, um, it, so the series had already been out. Um, like it had all been released. And, um, I guess whether this person was 
uh, like the the shop owner was repackaging the comics, like bagging, boarding them, or had just bought in a collection with somebody. I'm not sure, but the all six issues were out and kind of fanned out uh, in a in a spot that uh, that I just happened to be walking past, and uh, I stopped. And it was so it was the covers, you know. It was like what. I was just starting to get into, you know, the samurais and ninjas and that sort of thing. And, um, and it was just like, what is this? And, uh, and so he, 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 he let me open the package, you know, the, 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 the plastic around them and, and open it up and, and have a look at, uh, at one of the issues. And I was just like, Oh, I want them. And, uh, yeah, so I just bought them all then. Um, but it was probably the covers, but it was essentially the art. You know, once I had opened it up and I realized that this was something that was just kind of crazy, um, you know, it's got, it was the tick pretty much ticking all the boxes of young Jason. Um, it had, uh, <laughs> it had some interesting art, but it was also, um, futuristic and it had, um, you know, it had samurai stuff in it and, and the demons and that sort of thing. And it was just like, Oh, I need to know more about this. Buddy, if you like ninjas, I have some great news for you about the rest of Frank Miller's work. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's cool. Though, Cause like, especially as a kid in the, the time that this would have been like in, in you know, our collective youth, like, mm-hmm. Oh, you got, you got all six at once. You had the whole story. That's amazing. Like that is an accomplishment for that era. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know how I had the money, but because um, I wasn't making a lot of money at, at twelve, but uh, they <laughs> they were affordable, so I, I was able to pick them all up. I think that I pretty much didn't buy comics for like the next month because um, I kind of shot all of my money on this one thing, but it was well worth it. <laughs> so maybe I guess we we've talked around it a little bit, but uh, do you want to give our listeners the the pitch on on full tilt? Oh Lord, I'm the worst at this. Honestly, um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I usually well, I can, just like I can to tell say them they're going to want to go check it out because it is a it is an incredibly rad looking book. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's a future noir epic that touches on uh, themes of love and hate and family and power. It follows the main character, Mosmo Miller, who is uh, a crime family conciliere who. Uh, is at a at a meeting of all the heads of the five uh, crime families that rule New Manhattan, and what happens is that uh, there's a massacre uh, of all of the five heads of the the, the the crime syndicate bosses are all massacred, and uh, Mosmo is the lone survivor, and the new bosses essentially accuse him of all of the assassinations, and they gather their armies to hunt him down. So then, injured and alone, uh, he's kind of left on his own to battle his way homeward through enemy territory and kind of just dis- discover the, uh, the party responsible for the death of his mentor, um, and try to extract some vengeance. So, um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a revenge tale, but there is more to it because, uh, and I've been very careful not to talk about it too much is that, um, the story, as much as it is, it might be about revenge. It's ask, it's really about love and loyalty and uh, so there's there's a lot more to it than just uh, like John Wick scenes. Uh, it, it's a it's a it's a crime. It's a future crime noir that has heart. Let's put it that way. I don't know why you said you were about it. That's a great pitch. 
Well, that was probably the only that was probably the only time I was able able to deliver you know any in any sort of uh, coherent way. Uh, and of course, this is probably my last podcast that I'm doing. So, <laughs> what a great time to get it right. <laughs> well, d- d- you're, hopefully, we'll, we'll give you the butt. I mean, you're already doing very well over on Zoop. You're four times your goal over there. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. But we'll, we'll, we'll try to help you get even higher, uh, get to that, that next stretch goal. Yeah, I want, I would really love to get there. <laughs> not just, not just for me, but for everyone. Cause the book itself, uh, I may have, I may have hinted at it, but I love two page spreads. The, the book is full of them. There's actually at one point, there are 11 consecutive two page spreads that all connect to one another. Um, so it's kind of a 22 page spread <laughs> so the book is full of two-page spreads and having the and the the final stretch goal is the lay flat binding so to be able to get that binding um will only ensure that people can see the art fully without you know there are any loss in the crease so um so i'd love to get there i, I want to talk about this 22 page spread okay <laughs> because i've seen i've seen that this book is five years in the making, essentially. Yes. yes. And that kind of feels like the th- sort of thing that would emerge after you've been working on something for some number of years already. Mm-hmm. And you're really deep into it. And there's some part of your brain that just like some kind of switch flips and you say, fuck it. <laughs> and to say how many let's see how many pages i can stitch together here like how do you come to that idea and how do you actually make it come to fruition like is it just you draw a bunch of two page spreads and then sort of lay them down together <laughs> <laughs> or what do you do? Uh, well, it started with a, a, a two-page spread, so it was it's a it's a chase scene. The twenty-two pages is essentially a chase scene, um, and uh, and it started with a two-page spread of this of the ship that's being chased coming uh, coming across uh, a wall and and then moving on into the rest of the, uh, the next part of the city. And so I have um, so I have this thing sort of flying by. There's some uh, some kind of inset panels that divide the space so that the ship, you kind of follow the ship in sort of like a staccato sort of way. Um, and I got to the end of that and I thought, I, uh, what happens? So the, the, the city is a, is a big part of the, of the, of the, of the book. It's kind of a character on its own. And so this ship was flying across and I'm like, Oh, I, I'd love to see it go over more of the city. So I decided just to kind of turn that two pager into a four pager um, and it's so it's essentially one big image, but it's got some some panel uh, you know panel borders within it just to kind of give it a sense of timing and that sort of thing. And so there, I had a four page spread, and then I thought, oh, <laughs> what if I continued it? <laughs> and uh, so what I did is just sort of uh, the end of the of the second page spread and the beginning of the third second uh, two page spread. Um, I had them so that so that it continued on to the next page. But then in in that third two page spread, I started putting more panels and, and changing 
it wasn't just the, that same shot of the sh- of the ship flying across. It was now, you know, into the interior, or or if the missiles that get fired at it start tracking the ship, and so I, I'd start changing some of the perspective and stuff like that. But um, essentially, all of the pages, and and then I do another one, and I do another one, and they all connected, and it was just sort of an experiment uh, to keep myself interested. Um, or not, not interest isn't the word, uh, to keep myself um, hungry, you know, just to, to try to do something that uh, I hadn't done before and, uh, and try to push, push, push the, the, the storytelling and the narrative work and just try to make it interesting uh, visually. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, and just to keep myself entertained, I guess, really. <laughs> Well, I think, so, uh, yeah, when you work on something for long enough, you do start doing, even if it's like a great project, right? Like, even if you're happy with it and excited with about it, sometimes you got to just like do something you wouldn't normally do. <laughs> I, I feel like so that, yeah. that tracks to me. Yeah. And the best thing about it, I, so this was always going to be a crowdfunded book. I never once pitched it to any publisher or, or any of that sort of thing. So because I didn't have anyone sort of looking over my shoulder, uh, it afforded me the, the opportunity to do stuff like that, to, you know, do a three page uh, spread with uh, other things or, or 22 pages. You know, there was no one saying I couldn't do it or I shouldn't do it. <laughs> so I did it. And, uh, uh, yeah, and I, the book is stronger for the fact that there was nobody telling me what I could or couldn't do. Um, I, I got to pretty much draw everything I wanted to. So it was not part of the planning stage of the book. It was the, it was more of a, an improv. Yeah, the twenty two page spread thing. Yeah, no, that was uh, well, you know, being <laughs> being an artist first and foremost, uh, other than and a, a writer aside. What I what the writer what writer Jason wrote was chase scene <laughs> and and gave a uh, gave a page page length I think it was eight pages that this chase scene was going to go through the city and so that's really all writer Jason gave artist Jason and so artist Jason was like okay let's <laughs> let's see what we can do <laughs> and. Uh, and it just kind of grew from there, you know, just uh, almost like an experiment to see just what I could get away with. That is a thing that I love about books like this, where it's uh, a writer artist and it's crowdfunded and you have that kind of freedom because like, I mean, that sounds like it is a artistically a real centerpiece of the book that you didn't know was going to be in there when you wrote it. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely not. Uh, I, it was, it, it was something that, yeah, like you say, spontaneous. It was, it was just a kind of a, a momentary lapse of reason. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. I always wonder about the push and pull. Like you, you talked about writer Jason and artist Jason. And we've talked to pe- people who, you know, do both. And some who are very kind of like regimented and distinct about when they're doing which job Mm -hmm. and some who kind of like, there's some, there's some 
intermingling of those jobs. Do, do you think of, do you think there's like a hard line of that? Cause, cause what I know of your other comics work, you've mostly worked with writers, right? On other yeah. comics projects. Yeah, correct. So, yeah. So, that's the first thing I've ever written really. So when you sat down to do this, did you think, okay, I got to be in writer mode and then I got to be in artist mode and like there's never any overlap between the two or were you kind of switching off between the two as you went? Well, the the beginning uh, was very much a commingling of both of them. Uh, it was probably more artist Jason than writer Jason. I had figured out, uh, I had a, like a loose outline uh, scenes that I wanted to do um, and uh, and you know I put the characters into the, the situations and I, I wrote the script essentially in dialogue um, because I didn't really need to give panel descriptions or you know acting uh, descriptions or any of that because I was drawing it and I had it all in my head anyways so uh, so it was written mostly in dialogue um, and then what I did was I I dove in and I started drawing all the scenes that I really was excited about and uh, and I. You know, I was pushing it along, and I was really happy with what I had. But uh, after two years of doing that, I realized um, that I didn't really have uh, like a script. I didn't have like a written written down figuring out all of the sort of uh, nuances and you know the uh, any foreshadowing that sort of stuff. I was just kind of going by the seat of my pants, and I had all these I had these scenes that I had worked out and drawn and everything and then I got really scared because I didn't really know as a whole if it actually read well um, and so after about two years of, of doing the drawing slash writing thing I actually stopped drawing and I uh, took a year and I wrote the script based off all of the little uh, you know Google Docs that I had of course I you know every scene <laughs> that I did I didn't do it all in one big document I, I had these individual Google Docs of different scenes and dialogues. And, and then I had stuff handwritten. I had stuff written in, in the, in the margins of the pages and stuff. And I was just like, Oh, I got to get all this shit together. Cause I have no idea if it's actually coherent. And so I, like I said, I took a year off and I got all that stuff together and I wrote the script um, from start to finish. And, uh, and that's, I brought in an editor, uh, James Powell, he edited some um, Kill a Monster stuff that Mike and I did, and he's a writer himself, and he's very um, he's very thorough, and uh, he has no problem telling me if something doesn't work, uh, which is what I needed. And so I finished the script, and I sent it off to James, and uh, I he got back to me pretty quickly, like maybe in three or four days. And I was... Uh, pleasantly surprised that he said that it was pretty solid. And when James Powell says that it's pretty solid, uh, you know, he's, he's not blowing smoke out your ass. So it was, it was like, yeah, all right. Awesome. And he had some notes. Uh, so then I went back in and, and incorporated some of his notes and that sort of thing. And then I, uh, I felt like I, I now had a solid script to work from and, uh, I jumped back into drawing. And so it was sort of two years, of artist and writer Jason working together. Then it was a year of just writer Jason. And then it was essentially two years of artist Jason looking at what writer Jason did and, and got it down. So 
Um, so it was kind of a back and forth thing, but there was definitely a moment where I said, <laughs> ours, Jason had to take a hike and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, get out of the way. He's, he's causing problems here. Um, and yeah, so, you know, to answer your question, it was a little bit of both. Uh, I do think that when I do my next book, uh, I will write the script, uh, before I start drawing. So I've learned a little something about this. <laughs> so, so the script you sent to the editor. Yeah. What did that document look like? Was it just like dialogue or, uh, or it was, so I, so at that point I started breaking stuff into panel, uh, just like panel one, panel two, panel three with a yeah. really brief description of stuff that needed to happen, like to get my point across. Um, he was looking at, at, uh, some of the pages I already drawn too. So he was getting a sense of, you know, the pacing and what I was going for. Um, but the script ended up being pretty traditional, um, you know, broken into pages, broken into panels, a few panel descriptions. Um, but a lot of it was just dialogue. Yeah. Well, uh, do you mention your next project? Like, do you, do you know what it's going to be? No. <laughs> okay. Oh, sorry. Well, kind of, uh, my next solo project where I'm going to write and draw, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm still working through like starting to put ideas and down stuff down, but, um, Michael May and I are going to do more kill all monsters, uh, once full tilt is out of my hands fully. Um, so I'll be doing some awesome giant robot versus uh, giant monster, uh, comics. And then, uh, and then back to hopefully I'll have something written, and I can just jump back into that after filling, fishing off the kill monster stuff. Nice. Would you want to stay in the kind of like future noir of it all? I mean, because kill all monsters is you know the whole kaiju thing is is really different, and you get to work in that world. But or, or do you want to just do something totally different from either of those with the, your next project that you just do on your own? Well, the next one actually will have a sci-fi bent to it. Uh, I've kind of realized that that's sort of that's sort of one of the things that <laughs> that I'm I'm drawn to. <laughs> pun intended. Um, uh, I think that uh, it it probably won't be uh, a noir type thing. It'll probably be more along the lines of. Um, like a Mobius type uh, aesthetic, a little more open, a little less heavy black. Um, and I can see it being expansive. Uh, again, I think that I'm going to push the format a little bit. Um, again, I'm not going to pitch this to anybody. This is just going to be something that I crowdfund. It's sort of my thing now. I, I, I'm kind of done with traditional publishers. Um, crowdfunding is a viable for me is a viable way to get my stuff out. And, um, so that's the route I'm going to take, but, uh, the book itself, I think it's going to be probably a square format with lots of, again, lots of, uh, kind of two page spreads or, or, you know, expansive sort of, uh, situations, uh, that I kind of, kind of, you know, make, make drawing fun. Uh, I, I, the, the traditional, uh, page, uh, portrait page feels really confining to me. And I, I like the idea of having sort of a, a larger canvas to work from. 
Well, we like the idea of having <laughs> Canvas to work from uh, with the questions that we ask to our guests here on the show. Nailed it. Yes. Nailed the segue. The perfect segue. <laughs> uh, and Matt, if the listeners want to get in on these conversations that we have uh, each and every week here on the show, how exactly can they go about that? Well, Chris, uh, there's now a way out. A way out from having to ask questions on Twitter. And all you have to do is request from us an invitation to our Discord server. And because uh, I, I put a call for questions there as well as Twitter now. So if you want to be like I have been lately and be free from the shackles of Twitter, <laughs> uh, you can go to Discord and uh, and ask questions there. Although if you still want to ask questions on Twitter, you can do, do it there too. Uh, our Twitter account is at WarRocketPod. And so... Uh, we take questions from both places. And uh, the first question from a listener, Jason, that you're going to get here is from Hot Spring Summer on Twitter. Okay. Uh, and this is actually a question for all three of us to answer. Uh, mm-hmm. Hot Spring Summer wants to know, what's a comic page you want to put on your living room wall solely because of its interesting composition? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Hot Spring Summer says for them, it's everyone running, everyone in town running from Doctor Slump, uh, which I think is a uh, a Dragon Ball thing. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Jason, is do you immediately have in mind, like, you know, we, you, we talked about your twenty two page spread, mm-hmm. like a two page spread from a comic that you love so much that you would put it on your living room wall. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a Bill Sienkiewicz um, two pager that he did in new mutants. Uh, I think number 20 uh, it's like uh, during the demon bear uh, storyline and uh, all the kids are standing out in a field. It's like, Oh, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, the art, the art itself is fantastic. The coloring as well really supports uh, what uh, what he was going for, I think. Um, so it's sort of a combo thing. But I, the, I've seen the line drawing uh, itself online, uh, not in person, uh, and it looks fantastic. And I would, yeah, I would love to have that. Chris, Omac is number it, two. Omac number two. Oh, where he's like punching through all the guys. Where he's punching seven dudes at one time. Yes, <laughs> and the guy. It's got the corner dude freaking out. Uh, it's got the corner dude freaking out, and it's got the one guy grabbing onto his foot. It's <laughs> it's the best. It's it's the jam. Yeah, that one is that one is pretty great. Uh, I'm trying to think of one that like I would want. I mean, it's not a two page spread, but and I think people would think Chris, you would give this answer. But I do love that page where it's Batman and Robin, and Batman is saying, "You're wrong. Batman and Robin will never die." I mean, that's a good one. Uh, it's actually Robin saying that. Oh, it is Robin saying that. Yeah, it's Damian. Who was the artist on that? Uh, that was uh, Tony Daniel. I, that's that's a pretty good Tony Daniel page. It's it is. Yeah. I mean, look, I would have my entire office wallpapered in 
pages from Batman R.I.P. if I could. If that was a viable option for me. <laughs> I'm looking at the page and it looks like Batman is saying it. But it, it's Damien. Okay. Because you, um, you don't know it's Damien yet. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I wanted to, it to be a Frank Quietly page, but there's too many in my head to name one. Just one. Yeah. Uh, here's a question uh, from Patrick O'Duffy, uh, the boss dog, the boss on, dog. Our, yeah. on our Discord. Uh, and we already talked about your influences a little bit, Jason. Um, but Patrick wants to know if you had to name one that wasn't Frank Miller up front, oh. uh, who, who would number two be? Number two. Oof. Well, you can't really, I, and I, I've uh, probably Bill Sienkiewicz. You don't, re- can't really see it in my work. Um, I don't think, no, not really. But, uh, but, but uh, if it wasn't, if it wasn't Sienkiewicz, it would probably be probably Walter Simonson. Oh yeah, that's a that's great a choice. That's a, that's yeah. a good choice. Yeah, the, I, that's that's kind of where I grew up. You know, that kind of eighties, mid eighties Marvel world. Um, you know, and John Byrne. Um, Were you a Jeff Darrow guy at all? Oh, Jeff Darrow's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of <laughs> I don't. This is not a brag, really, but well, it is slightly. Uh, one of my uh, most memorable days as a comic book person was the day that uh, Jeff Darrow came up to to Michael and I at uh, in Chicago at C two E two, and he bought a copy of Kill All Monsters, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> it was <laughs> it was fantastic. That that was that was the day that I was like, "Oh yeah." This was all worth it. <laughs> it uh, those moments are great. You don't get them too often, but when no, you do, it's, yeah. it's always nice. Uh, here's a question from Stone Cold HCC, an account that exists only to ask questions on War Rocket Ajax. Uh, Stone Cold wants to know, Jason, do y'all think Superman is more powerful than the locomotion? <laughs> the, lo- the, the, the song? <laughs> the, the dance, I think, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, that's a that's an interesting question. I think uh, I think the power of dance is stronger than the power of Superman. Wow, that was hot take. take. Hot right? take. Right? Old man making bold moves right now. <laughs> I'm busting a move right here. Yeah. <laughs> Brad on our Discord uh, wants to know: uh, Is there a distinct distinction for you between sci-fi noir and cyberpunk? And if so, how do you articulate it? Oh, yeah, I don't know if I could articulate it. I think um, I think they're really close. I think noir for me is just more. It's for as an art, as sort of a, a, an aesthetic. It's just a heavier blacks, um, kind of more stark, uh, high contrast. Um, to me, is a little more noir, whereas the cyberpunk. You know, you got your neons, and and even though things are still gritty and dark, I think that there's a certain amount of uh, light that happens in a cyberpunk that isn't really in a noir situation. I love that all of your answer was visual. That's the only way I can think. Because <laughs> <laughs> as a as someone who wrote a 
comic about a robot noir detective. To me, the difference between noir and cyberpunk is they're both retro, but retro for distinct eras. Mm -hmm. Like noir, like sci-fi noir is like a future that people imagined in the 30s and 40s. (laughs) And cyberpunk is a future that people imagined in the 70s and 80s. (laughs) That's a good way of thinking about it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Chris Kaiser, speaking of robot detectives, Chris Kaiser on our Discord wants to know, should comics have more or fewer robot detectives? <laughs> well, if the story's strong, then then they, they, they should be in it. I agree. Yeah. I don't why I the, think why comics the limit? have enough robot detectives. <laughs> because <laughs> comics has Copernicus Jones. I think... One robot detective should be in print somewhere, and someone listening <laughs> to this should help make that happen. <laughs> uh, that is pretty much it for our uh, listener questions. We we do have one kind of general one from CJ Crawl. So, Jason, this isn't about your work at all, but uh, no what is your most recent regretful purchase? <laughs> oh, geez. Uh... Oh man. Um what did you buy that made you so mad that you would go full tilt? <laughs> well, the only thing that's coming to mind, I don't I don't actually I'm not much of a consumer. I don't buy a lot of things. Um but I had some shirts made at Threadless and um I I I got three shirts. I had designed three shirts and I and I ordered uh you know, one one shirt from each design and they came and I was really excited and I opened it up and the shirts were like, (laughs) they were like, uh, misshaped. So like that they were, they puckered at the shoulders and stuff. Okay. And they just looked, they just looked horrible. And, and, and one of the, one of the, um, one of the shirts, the printing was crooked. Um, you know, like there's, there was lettering on it and the lettering wasn't, like straight it was and and i was i was pretty mad about that you know like all three shirts uh so it was like the shirt person you know the quality control dude that was working that day that they printed the shirts just didn't give a shit and uh you know they gave me my money back and stuff but man i i don't ever want to buy a threadless shirt again wow that a, a damning indictment of threadless i hope they are not, nor they will they ever be a sponsor of this podcast. <laughs> well, you just have to just bleep out. They what were I the see. sponsor. <laughs> they were the sponsor of my wardrobe for my mid twenties. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, well, Jason, that's going to wrap up our interview. Thank you so much uh, oh, for coming God. on War Rocket Ajax. It has been a blast to talk to you. Before we let you go. Let our listeners know where they can find you, where they can find your stuff, and how they can uh, back, support, and get their own copy of Full Tilt. All right. Well, the Full Tilt campaign runs for another seven days, I believe. I think it ends on the Friday, uh, the 9th. Um, and, yeah, it's a it's a 320-page oversized hardcover. Um, it's uh, black and white. 
it's if you like I say, if you dig uh, gritty noir tales and dystopian future realities and black and white art, then I think that this book is something that uh, will probably uh, tickle your fancy. It's uh, at this point I don't see it being available at least in this format ever again. So this is kind of your your one kick at the can to get uh, this art object. Um, so I would I would say if you are even remotely interested. Uh, you should check out the Zoop page, uh, zoop.gg backslash c backslash full tilt. And, uh, and yeah, and just kind of peruse it. There's all sorts of art. Um, I don't even know how many pages are on there, at least at least uh, 15 or 20. And a write-up, and you get to see some of the nice things that, uh, that people said, like Phil Hester said nice things about it, and J.H. Uh, Williams, and Jason, Sean Alexander. And... Um, and yeah, I don't know that. And anywhere else that you can find me is just, uh, I'm on the socials at Jason Copeland. Um, there's no E in Copeland. So Jason Copland. Um, but I'm, that's where you'll find me. You'll find me on, uh, Twitter. Unfortunately, you'll find me on, uh, blue sky now. Woo-hoo! Um, on Instagram, all the, all the socials, I'm pretty much just at Jason Copeland. And that's it. That's yep. <laughs> All right. Our guest has been Jason Copeland. Uh, the book is Full Tilt. It is on Zoop, and you should check it out. Check out that dude getting his head fully shot off. It's great. <laughs> uh, Jason, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks once again to Jason Copeland for joining us and telling us a little something about his book that's coming out. Uh, that was a fun a fun time and a fun discussion and fun with my friend, Matt, who I still don't know what to get you for your birthday. <laughs> uh, well, everybody should go back that book, go back full tilt on Zoop. It's very cool looking and uh, worth it. I think that's going to do it for this episode of war rocket Ajax. If you want to email us, get in touch. You can do it at our email address, which is warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at warrocketpod. You can uh, hit us up on Tumblr, ask us listener questions there, or get in touch with us at warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com. Or go on any of those places, use any of those communication methods to ask us for an invitation to our Discord. And uh, we will get you an invitation if you ask nicely and uh, you can be part of that community, uh, which is kind of where I've been most active lately, I guess I I'm sure not on Twitter very much. Our website is warrocketajax.com. It has every episode of the show we've ever done. You can also go to warrocketwiki.com to find tons of information about this show. It is the fan run repository of all the information you could ever need about War Rocket Ajax. If you want to find me and my stuff, you can go to mattdwilson.net to find links to my comics, my books, my other podcasts, and my social medias. Chris, where can people find you? Everybody can find me by going to the-isb.com. That is my website, and it has links to all the things that I do around the world. Around this whole dang world. Around the world. Around the world. You gotta spread the word. Tell them what you heard. You know it's gonna be okay. See you next week, everybody. See you next week, everybody. We'll be back. We got a great show coming up.
It's going to be a fun time as we are in June, baby. So join us for that. But until then, don't forget, Black Lives Matter. Trans rights are human rights. Abortion rights are also human rights. Drag is not a crime. And cops aren't your friends. But we love you. But we love you. Yeah!